welcome to The Straw Hat with Rabbi David Wolkenfeld and Rabbinate Goldie Guy. We are the official podcast of Anshe Shalom B'nai Israel Congregation, an Orthodox synagogue in the Lakeview neighborhood of Chicago, Illinois. We are recording uh, the podcast this week, the last week of the month of Adar, Shani. <laughs> so it's almost Nisan, almost, almost Pesach. Uh, and uh, we wanted to begin with just some like Pesach information and some Pesach content. Uh, the shul is once again hosting a Passover Seder on the second night of Pesach. When I say the shul is hosting <laughs> a Pesach Seder, really, um, it's sort of a Euphemism, really what I say is. <laughs> <laughs> that I, as a representative of the I mean, shul. Goldie is hosting a Seder at the shul uh, yeah. that anyone can sign up to attend. We hope I have to say, it's going to be the first time that I'm leading a Seder that wasn't just myself, which happened during COVID, uh-huh. um, which is really exciting. I'm, I'm very excited to, and, and my family will be visiting, my parents and one of my brothers. Um, so we hope to bring... Uh, some of the guy family Seder traditions to to the Seder, um, and it's really exciting. I've I've like uh, I've I, I've been interested in like different kinds of Haggadot and different kinds of practices at the Seder. I know that um, when my different families came together from my brother's uh, wives, my sister in laws, when they joined the family, they brought their family traditions in. Like one of my sister in laws. Uh, likes to bring like props and and uh, finger puppets for each of the plagues and to, and to engage all the kids as they go and and I also enjoyed over the years how I've not been the youngest person at the seder. <laughs> I'm the youngest of five, so I've always had to do manishtana, and then we had the the kids, the grandkids, the nieces and nephews um, able to say the manishtana. I, my other sister-in-law loves to make uh, animal noises at Chad Gadya. I don't know if that's a thing that happens in everyone's house. That is house. something that we do, and that's not something I grew up with, but it's something that I um, encountered as a young adult, and uh, <laughs> that is now part of our Sadarim as well. It's really fun. Yeah. So, really so, fun. <laughs> but also, here's something that I won't be doing. Okay. As, that's a family tradition. So yeah. my mom and my dad both have uh, family tunes that there were passed down, like melodies that they use for the different parts of the Haggadah. Yes. And so when they melded, their compromise was to sing both, so uh. consecutively. And it's not like they do one night as uh, my dad's tunes, one night's my mom's tunes. It's both nights both tunes for, so for that's, which for which parts it's a, a lot of the i mean it depends and i can like a lot of the end songs uh, um it's like a lot of end songs if you a lot of end songs a lot of different a lot of different parts that we have you know here are the different traditions and we know so how are you gonna pick this. how are you gonna pick which melody to do this year when you're leading it's like which parents so this do came like up more? when it's i like just really are like how... <laughs> given that they will both be there I don't know. I'm going to have to practice, though, because it's not even like, you know how you go into like this mode of like, you know which tune you use and your brain just goes there. So I've got two. So there's got to be there's going to be a lot of attention around the Torah, but also a lot of intention around the tunes and which ones to bring in and how to please my parents. So um, (laughs) you can come and support me there. Yeah, you may, maybe bring a compromised melody that's neither, you know, maybe a guest can show up with a melody of their own. Yeah, or I'd love for people to share even traditions that they have at their seders. Maybe you, if you're planning on coming to the uh, ASBI Community Seder, 
Maybe you can, you know, comment below or submit your <laughs> submit your family custom, and we can incorporate it because that's the magic of people coming together for this seder. I'm I'm really excited for it to see our. Right, community. it's not in anyone's home. It's in the shul, which is everyone's home. So everyone should feel ownership over what we do and how we do it. And in terms of who should attend, like if you are a family of eight and you are the thought of making your own seder is overwhelming, register for the shul seder. If you're a single person and your roommates are going home to family and you don't have not sure where you want to go. Like come to the shul site, like really, like or you live on your own and you'd like to join people at shul, like you are used to doing when you want to engage in community, right? You come to ASBI, so that's what the seder is too. Yeah, yeah, please, really, really, it, it's um, we have a, plenty of room for people to sign up, but we do. It, it will be important for people to sign up relatively early so that we can plan and get food and everything, all those things. So, uh, yeah. so please, uh, please do sign up. We are both accepting sponsors, and also if um, if, it, if the cost as listed is too expensive, let us know and we can make sure that that's not a barrier. So money's not a barrier and we're accepting sponsorships, okay? So it gets not a barrier in either direction. You can pay less or pay more uh, to the listed amount uh, to attend. But, please, but we, hope, we hope listeners uh, to the podcast will, will come. If you're talking about um, your traditions of how to run the Seder, um, do you have a specific time that you make sure to start and end? I know that our, <laughs> our Seder, notoriously at home, goes pretty late. I won't do that here. <laughs> but there is like a there are specific halachic times that you're supposed yeah, to. Yeah, and as I'm as I'm, we should anyone listening should remind me to make sure that we uh, turn off the alarm for the night of the seder so the alarm doesn't go off. Uh, oh boy, uh, seder. But uh, yeah, so this is this is a I, I mentioned this at the in uh, Shabbos morning as an example of a question that I frequently receive and I have to schedule a meeting with someone who to talk through in great detail how to handle this situation. A very I mean the the mitzvah of the seder should take place at night. And not only, that's actually, it's actually in the Seder itself. It's sort of funny yes. that people, right? Like, Yachom Rosh Chodesh, that little <laughs> piece of, of uh, Midrash that's part and parcel of the Seder is telling us that the mitzvah of telling the story of the Exodus has to take place at nighttime when the mitzvah of Matzah and Maror are, are, are done, performed at night. Uh, and... Um, uh, and yet, it's just in the northern hemisphere. It's, it's you know, in these, these latitudes at this time of year, uh, it doesn't get dark until... Um, rather late, you know, yeah. later than most people, many people eat, and later than many children find yeah. it easy, or older people find it easy to stay up. So it's it's not uncommon that people who care about doing the mitzvot at the halachic time need, are faced with being invited to attend a seder at in-laws or grandparents, and mm. you know, with friends, and the seder is going to start at 5 p.m. or 6 p.m. or or even 7 p.m. and it doesn't get dark until um, I don't know something like it'll be like after eight, I believe, you know. Um, before it gets, uh, you know, before it gets actually dark. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I, I would say if this is your situation, you know, we still have a, a couple of weeks before Pesach, reach out and we can work, talk through uh, precisely how to accommodate. Like one simple way to like kind of shave some time is like when you, the Seder is called for seven o'clock, that doesn't mean that you're like making Kiddush at seven o'clock. That means that the guests are arriving at seven o'clock and they're taking off their coats and they're, you mm-hmm. know, they're, they're, you know, giving you their little candy, they, you know, dish that they brought or whatever it is. And you're introducing each other and you're sitting at the table and you're pouring wine and you're um, going around and everyone's sharing their names and then you're getting ready, you know, so that can take five, 10, 20 minutes, 30 minutes maybe. Uh, uh, the, the part that should be at dark, like it's the first, um, the first cup of wine, which is the, you know the the, the kiddush wine like that that's a nighttime mitzvah, uh, but everything before then uh, can take place before. So that's like an easy you know it could be an easy way to um, mm-hmm. uh, to, to do this. Um, you can also uh, if you if you're running the seder and you have like some input in how it's run, you could also like um, 
shift the order a little bit. You could sing those songs at the beginning, right? When the kids are still awake. You could sing those, all the highlights, all the highlights you can do. Have you done that before? You know, we did this, um, that first COVID Pesach. Uh We had like a Erev Pesach afternoon Zoom call with my mother and my sister and my sister-in-law. And we sang some of those, you know, my kids sang Manish Tana, and we sang, mm. I think, some of the songs at the end with the family. Mm-hmm. And then we, you know, turned off the computers and, and, and got ready for Yantif. I, you know, we and did you it. didn't repeat those parts? We may did. have. I mean, the, the, the younger kids were asleep, and we, okay. I think we did some things later, but like, mm-hmm. you, know, you know, as a smaller group. Um, yeah, and, and so, some people, depending on, you know, we did that well, you know, hours before Yantif started in the afternoon. Right. But I know there are some people who, and the shul shared guidance for people who wanted mm-hmm. to do that, leading right up until sunset, in which case you maybe you would do more of those, you know, Seder elements just before sunset. And then, like, after dark, you would do, like, the mitzvot, you know, like, in a more right. um, efficient way, right? The four cups of wine and telling the story, maybe even just the, you know, not every page of Magid necessarily. Right. Uh, just the, the highlights of, of Magid and then, you know, the, all those nighttime mitzvot. Now, if you're not in charge of the Seder schedule because you're a guest at someone's house, mm-hmm. it can be a little more tricky. But what may what you could do, though, is just um, assuming that by the time you get to uh, washing for matzah, eating matzah, it's already dark. Um, and you just then you could just, you know, have matzah after dark and then hmm. um, during the meal while everyone is eating you know their second bowl of soup you can have another cup of wine and say you know magid or parts of magid uh, read parts of magid while every during the meal hmm. um, and then you finish up together with everyone else so, you know so there are variations depending on the timing and when exactly sunset is and when the meal starts but there, there are strategies i think it's important to maintain relationships with family and you know our big diverse wonderful families where everyone has different yeah. ways of experiencing judaism i think it's also important to do the mitzvot to do mitzvot in a careful conscientious way yes. uh, and you know the seder mitzvot at nighttime that's that's like literally in the yes. seder itself like the instructions <laughs> are there it's a yachimashkodesh you might think you could do this from mashkodesh but tamalamar right you know you have to you know this is these are nighttime mitzvot um it's there in the, in the haggadah so uh, i think it's you know Mitzvah should be done with in a conscientious and meticulous way, but also in a way that's like conscientious and meticulous about maintaining our friendships and our relationships with uh, with all the other people we love and are important to us. Right, and also making sure that all the kids are engaged uh, in the appropriate ways. Like it would seem that the right the whole seder talks about how to engage kids and have them experience the the story of the exodus and feel the formation of our peoplehood and understand what this is all about. And yet, it can be so hard. For, for little kids, really, if we're, if we're keeping mind, you know, we're being mindful of the timing for the halachic mitzvah, right? Of, it's, it's, it's I hard. definitely it's hard day, I'd say daylight savings time was not, you know, makes has challenges <laughs> for, for Jewish parents. Um, I'd say yeah. Purim after daylight savings time is like, that's like, you know, you, you, maybe you want a child to like hear the Megillah reading and like, but it's like 7.30, 7.40, 8 hard. o'clock. That's really hard. Um, you want children at the Seder, but like, again... Eight o'clock, nine o'clock, second night, you know, whatever start time is, it's like really late for young children. I, I yeah. uh, not, not so like simple. messing with their sleep schedules and doing a, n- a yeah, nap so I, the day I, before. So we, we've, what we've done with our, you know, we, we have not, um, you know, we, obviously the kids are, you know, 
<laughs> I think bedtime has been like our, you know, especially when our children were younger, that was like the thing we did as parents that we were like, you know, this we're going to be good at as parents, bedtime. So we were very, <laughs> mm-hmm. very invested in bedtime and the rituals of bedtime and not being too late. And I was like, we were really invested in that as parents for, for many, many years. And we didn't really compromise. And then Seder too, we, we didn't in general, if I'm recalling like our early years as parents, I don't think we kept our kids very late for, for Seder. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, I should remember our first years, um, you know, the first year, the year we moved to Princeton is the first year like hosting like Seder, like in a professional capacity with mm-hmm. like lots of guests and family came to us. And I remember my mother-in-law, Leah Shalom, drove up to our home in Princeton like a week or so before Pesach. Her like car, like it was like, like a cartoon, like the car like screeched to a stop in front of our house, <laughs> like this cloud of smoke. And then there was like a zoom and the car like zoomed off and there was like all the boxes of, our, of her Pesach dishes. I think she was very eager to... Um, Leave us with her Pesach dishes, uh, so and not and not be hosting Pesach again. So, so that year, our you know the twins were infants, and Noam was two, and so the years three, so the years that we were starting to like yeah. host Sedarim, our oldest was two, three, four, five. Right, these you know our kids were very very young, and we, so we they went to bed at, at more or less a normal time, and we had like a children's seder um, mm. at lunchtime on Yantif, um, mm. and so whatever you know like. Haggadah they made in, in in school, we would like go through it and we would do like most of the ritual, you know, we'd have carpas and we would dip and we would, you know, yeah. all those things at, at lunch, you know, yeah. and tell the story, do all those, you know, we do those at, at, at huh. uh, as like a kid's Seder that we, that we did. And that's, you know, something that's I think available and, uh, you know, and as the kids got older, they were more and more present at, at the mm-hmm. Seder. And actually it's something that really I, I kind of a, a positive memory from the COVID uh, years is like mm-hmm. a Seder just with our nuclear family. And I think... Very obviously, very sad not to be with extended family, not to be with guests. But um, it was very special to focus on our children, our, our, mm. um, and I hopefully we'll not forget them, you know, in future years and continue to to appropriately uh, prioritize their experience as well. So this past Shabbat was the second week that I've been uh, reading through an essay and discussing it. Um, you know, in the Shabbat afternoon, uh, pre-Mincha Shior Slats, an essay written by Akiva Shai Wozner, who's an academic of sort of, I don't know, modern Jewish thought. He wrote a biography of uh, Rav Shimon Shkap uh, mm-hmm. and his, like, legal theory. He's a really interesting guy. Um, this essay was published, I don't know, 15 years ago or so, and he's sort of grappling with the question of what it means to be faithful to halakha. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and uh, it's, it's I, I think I'm going to, like, continue to process this through the shiur for the coming weeks. Maybe this is going to be what I teach about on Shavuot to like maybe hopefully a broader audience or a different audience. But uh, it's a really interesting question because like there's a simple answer. I think like you go up to somebody on the street, what does it mean to be faithful to halakha? I think they'll say to to be obedient to the demands of halakha, right? And, and then any deviance, any gap between the way one observes mitzvot and what halakha, halakhic demands would entail, it's either... I don't know, like uh, laziness or sinfulness or the Yetzir Hara, the evil inclination, mm. you know, misleading you or swaying you, et cetera. Right? What else could there be? And he's trying to develop a different model uh, that could explain like, really serious Jews who care a lot about mitzvot, who love God and love the Torah and, and are very meticulous in their approach to mitzvot. But there are some gaps in their observance, which they which can't really be explained by um, laziness or carelessness or being overcome by the evil inclination because it they're pretty consistent in, you know, right? Like you can't, uh, you know, like... Does he bring examples? 
So he, he does, he, we've discussed, I mean, so come to the class on Shabbos afternoon. We've talked about a, a number of examples. Uh, and uh, I think even more helpful than the examples, he gives like a really interesting metaphor, which I find was like so, so compelling. Mm-hmm. Uh, like the first metaphor like is halakha, the voice of halakha is like the voice of a commanding king, right? And so the only approach is obedience, right? Okay, and any failure is a failure. The other metaphor he develops is that of, like a doctor giving good advice for healthy living. Hmm. And you can listen to advice of your physician and care a lot about, you know, medical science and, you know, and and really believe that listening to your doctor will lead to healthy outcomes. But you and the doctor and everyone else knows that medical science doesn't provide every relevant factor in making a decision about how you're going to live and how you're going to act. So the example he gives, I find it so so compelling. Imagine an actor who is um, who who is performing on theater, and and the role he's going to play is someone who smokes heavily. And so to play this role, he's going to have to smoke a cigarette, um, you know, in the theater. Mm. You know, let's say two cigarettes a night for you know five nights a week um, for the duration of this play, say a couple of months maybe, uh, right? So we, this actor speaks to his doctor. She's going to tell him, like. I, you can't smoke, right? I, from mm-hmm. the perspective of medicine, any cigarettes, even a few, even a small number of them, is harmful to your health. As a physician, giving you guidance, like based on my expertise, based on my qualifications, um, of providing medical guidance, I can't condone even one cigarette. Mm-hmm. But I think we would find it quite reasonable that an actor might say, "Well, for the sake of my ability to pay the rent, <laughs> mm-hmm. for the sake of my ability to um, have a career that I find rewarding." Um, for the sake of my career, which I think is actually contributing something to humanity through the dramatic arts, right? For all, like, I think it's worth the relatively minor medical risk of smoking a few cigarettes for this one role that I want to take on. Hmm. Uh, and um, I think that that is how we treat, I think, medical guidance, right? And I think and that that's like a really interesting metaphor. Like, based on this metaphor. Um, Halakha is like really like divine wisdom for how to live a good life, mm. how to have a rich community, how to build a stable and just social order, but it doesn't contain all of the relevant factors that we might choose in making a decision. So the part of the essay that we haven't gotten to yet is he has to like justify this from you know sources that kind right. of demonstrate that, and, and he hasn't done that yet, so we have to sort of see if he can maintain it. But um, I, I, I I know it's a, the conversations among the participants in the class have been very rich, and cool. uh, even if you've missed the first two weeks. You know, if you've heard this, if that's a summary of the first two weeks, so 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 show up for for every Shabbos afternoon, uh, forty five minutes before Mincha, and uh, we'll continue a uh, really really rich uh, conversation. Since we last recorded a podcast, we celebrated Purim at the Shul. Purim was super fun this year. Yeah, so much more fun than <laughs> than last year. No offense to last year. Hey. But <laughs> <laughs> that was a lot of work, but also. This was so much better. <laughs> it was nice to see lots and lots of people in shul. Uh, it was really great as well. They were able to broadcast uh, Megillah over Zoom for those who couldn't be in shul. The people who couldn't, that included people who, who had COVID, who couldn't you know, responsibly leave their home. It included yeah. people who didn't want to get COVID, who couldn't yeah. responsibly leave their home. And, and we were able to provide that uh, for several dozen people at night and during the day. Uh, and for dozens, dozens, hundreds maybe who came uh, to hear Megillah and to do the mitzvah of Purim in the shul. We had an extravaganza, which was absolutely extravagant. Um, um, it was so beautiful. And I think even the, even the Megillah reading, just being back, like having been here last year, 
and having been at Megillah reading room, we were masked and it wasn't as there weren't kids running around. And this year felt so different is that there was, you know, there was like a background noise. There was the liveliness of the, of the yeah. shul. You could La- hear. Last year, Purim, like it's sort of, you don't even like oh, to remember, hard. it's like quantify like, like last year, Purim, we still had capacity limits imposed by the city. We couldn't have more than 50 people at any, um, at any Megillah reading. So that was yeah. like, that really constrained our ability to, uh, yeah. <laughs> to do a lot. And most, I think most people last year were experiencing Megillah reading over Zoom. Yeah. And we had a number of in-person, but it was limited. And, you know, so it was like a very, very yeah, different... So there uh, were kids. I ran the slideshow with the with the fun illustrations for Haman. And like, that was really fun. Yeah. And we had our um, we had our women's Megillah readings back. And that was really fun. But the extravaganza, I think, was really a highlight at the center on Halstead. And we had an amazing reptile show, which is like not something that I thought I'd... You know, I was like, I, I don't know what a reptile show was before, I guess. Yeah, I think reptiles and... have to be part of the Purim traditions now. Like every, every holiday you have a reptile Like, show. who knew? It was a great fit, and the kids were playing with them afterwards with the open zoo time. We got some great pictures of kids, like, handling lizards and turtles and frogs. <laughs> it's very cool. What, what I hope comes from the extravaganza is that people... Um, realize how like that feeling of happiness that you felt seeing people you like and people you know or people you are getting to know uh, other Jewish people coming together to like embrace being Jewish and do mitzvah together like that positive feeling is something that you can have um, like every week <laughs> every day mm-hmm. like you can come to shul and, and experience that and something I, I got from my like perch um, in the shul on Shabbat morning as I see people coming in there have been like weeks where I see people like oh it's so nice that you're here Oh, but your like close friends were here last week. Oh dear, you know, she, you know. I hope you have a fun time. Uh, your closest friends came last week, but they're not here this week for some reason. You know, so like I, you know, I think that's um, uh, there's like it's like a like a coordination, you know, a <laughs> challenge that we need to like work through. Really, like once upon a time, it was like everyone came to shul just about every week, and so you could come here and know that you would see lots of people who you cared about and who cared about you, and you could have that spiritual experience and intellectual experience and also that social experience without having to plan, and just it was just automatic. And I think what's, what's happened uh, over these COVID months is that people have lost the habit of just automatically by default on Shabbos morning, I'm going to be at shul. And so, mm-hmm. uh, and, and people have moved to out of state and people have moved to the suburbs. And we, so, you know, so it's a, so some very people we care a lot about, we're missing them. And then people who are still in Chicago and still around, they're just, they're out of habit of just automatically showing up. So I show up, but I don't see my closest friends and the people who are here, I don't know them yet. They're, you know, friends I haven't made yet. And so uh, I, I think we just, all of us have to sort of like, you know, um, break out our inner extrovert and, and try to introduce ourselves to people who are really nice and friendly and are eager to meet new friends. Uh, and then just keep coming like week after week because um, then then your friends will, will come and they'll see you and then you'll remind each other of, of how happy this place and this community can make you. And That's what made the extravaganza so fun, right? We came together and like, so many people were there who people who I've seen people some people who I haven't met before and it was so lovely to see the entire like almost the entire ASBI community coming together around mitzvot but also having fun and socializing so we had our suda we had our megillah reading we did the mitzvot together and it was really great just to be together so I think that's what we're, we're saying like shul can be and shul has been and shul is that way shul is that way but just for you know for not, not for as many people as it once was yeah and yeah, and yeah. I and I think if you if you've come in recent months and, and you've been you felt like you know just like some sadness at the your friends who aren't there so like 
I don't know, like call your friends and say, I'm going to go to shul this Shabbat, okay? Even though I haven't been for like a couple of months or I haven't been for a couple of weeks, but this week I'm going to come. Like, I hope to see you there too. Like you can, that's like a very reasonable thing to tell a friend on a Friday it's afternoon. It's a great kiddish this week, right? Come this week for we the have kiddish. A great kiddish. This week we do have a great kiddish. It's a <laughs> tell birth- your friends. <laughs> birthday kiddish, uh, Flesha kiddish, uh, very, very, yeah, yeah. And, and, but I don't think, I don't actually don't think it's the food. I don't think it's a kiddish. I think it's the, I think it's the seeing people we like and, and having them see us. It's both. It's both okay. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm not there for the flesh eggs, so this I, I, think, is... <laughs> I think since I think since I have come to work at Anshay Shalom, I think the I, I think I've consumed very very few um, very few calories have been consumed by me at Kiddush. I think it's like a lot of talking. I don't I don't get to eat very much at Kiddush, so I've yeah. Um, that's why everyone else listening to this podcast didn't go into the rabbinate. Like you, <laughs> you and I don't. If you, if you don't like eat a if you kiddush. like if you like eating if you like eating a Kiddush, don't become a congregational rabbi. That that's that's sound advice. Sound advice. <laughs> totally, totally. Well, thank you so much for listening to the podcast. I know we have listeners all over the world, or so the website tells us. So please, if you're in an exotic location listening to the podcast, <laughs> send us a note one of these days. Tell us who you are and how you came across uh, this, the Straw Hat Podcast. The Straw and, Hat uh, all over the world. And if you're in Anshay Shalom and you're listening, like, let me know as well. It's so fun when people come up to me and say, oh, like, follow up. Like, here's a comment based on something I learned in the podcast. Like, it happens a lot. It does. It, it does. No, we have, we have like about like, dozens of people like listen every week. So for sure, it happens. Most of them are in are in Chicago. So it definitely happens. But you could tell us that it, like, that's very... Um, validating so so listen enjoy and 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 you know give us some feedback